0: Jason, what a wonderful pleasure to have you on the show. Been looking forward to this for a long time.
1: <laughs> in a couple of months that we've been we've been working on yes. this. It's, I'm looking forward to it too.
0: Yes, there's there's something there's something as I, as I mentioned in the introduction. There's something with nature that is so important, and the the first thing that you know uh, that attracted my attention was the regenerative organic certified trademark first winery in the world (laughs) can you can you tell us a bit more about this because this is because we know about organic we know a bit about you know biodynamic but regenerative
1: so sure it's i think Organic is for sure what people understand best when you're talking about kind of farming in a way that is good for the earth more globally. But organic is a pretty limited set of rules. It's basically a list of chemicals that you can't use. So you can't use chemicals for fertilizer or for weed control or for pest control. And if you don't use those chemicals and you go through a certification process, you can be organic. But it doesn't necessarily indicate a particularly great use of resources. For example, maybe you're flood irrigating a water-intensive crop in a desert climate. Probably, I think most people would not think that that was a good use of societal resources, but as long as you're not using chemicals, you can be organic. Um, Or you could be exploiting your workers. You could be paying them less than a living wage, or you could, um, in in other ways, be doing things that might not be good for the broader society. But that's not what organic is concerned about. Mm -hmm. So regenerative organics tries to take organics kind of a step further in building farms that have positive impacts, positive externalities on their soils and environment, their community and their people. So there's essentially, like I think of there as being like four pillars. One of them is soil health, where you're essentially trying to build these vibrantly alive, healthy soils, um, biodiversity, um, a healthy microbiome, um, all basically the things that biodynamics is trying to do. The second pillar is a resource resource use reduction pillar. So shared resources like, non-renewable energy or, or water, um, in regenerative organics, you have to be reducing your use of those shared resources. So at tablas Creek, we're 100% solar powered. We got our fourth bank of solar panels in last year. So that's, that powers the entire um, office and cellar and, and winery. Um, and then there are separate pillars for farm worker fairness, where you have to show that not only are you paying your farm workers a living wage, not only are their working conditions safe, but also that you're investing in their skills. Um, you're, you're investing in their ability to um, communicate. Um, you're investing in these systems where you work in conjunction with their their feedback is solicited and encouraged and acted upon. Um, And then finally, the the fourth one is an animal welfare pillar. So if you have any working animals on your farm, as we do with a flock of 350 sheep, those have to be treated humanely. So the idea is that you're essentially setting up your farm unit to be a part of the solution to some of these bigger picture societal challenges, um, whether that be inequality or resource scarcity or biodiversity.
0: Yeah, but okay, I'm gonna play the devil's advocate for a second. Go for it. Why go through all this? (laughs) <laughs> because it's 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 not that it's not easy. It's not no easy. It's, it's, not, <laughs> easy. it's, it's not, not easy. It's not easy. So why
1: go through that? Two reasons. One is that um, if you believe that we as a society are living beyond our means, which I think I, I absolutely do, and I think it's becoming clearer and clearer each year between questions of climate change, questions of extreme weather, questions of. Um, water scarcity. I mean, these are these are these are issues that we're all facing. Um, if, given that almost a third of the Earth's landmass is used for agriculture, if agriculture is not a part of the solution to these problems, chances are very good that these problems aren't solvable. So that's one piece. The second piece is that all of these things make for a better environment for growing. Grapevines and wine grapes um, and make for a better business. So, for example, um, something that might seem abstract to people like the, the farm worker fairness piece. Like, if you, we, we have, um, we, we started giving our field crew year round employment back in 1996. So, it's been more than 25 years. Four of the original 10 guys who we hired in 1996 are still working at Tablas Creek 26 years later. That tenure, that, that longevity, the investment that we've made in their skills means that these guys have unbelievable pride in the work that they've done. They've touched every every vine at Tablas Creek multiple times. Um, and they are, when we do have to bring in guys from the outside, they act as these incredible guardians of the work that's been done. So. That comes back around to help us in our in our grape growing. It comes back around to help us in our retention of people, um, and it comes back around in our in our reputation in our community. And all of these things are good for good for the business more broadly, as well as good for addressing the specific challenges of how do we get healthy grapevines making intensely flavored grapes in in a in a in a stressful and and dry and and often rigorous climate like Paso Robles. If
0: it's if it's so good for business, why aren't there more people into such programs, into that mindset of of, of being, you know, more in harmony with society, the people, the environment, the animals, etc., everything that is surrounding them? Why are there more people?
1: Well, there are. It is a fairly new concept, I think. First of all, I know when we were approached by the Regenerative Organic Alliance in two thousand eighteen to be a part of the pilot program for this, to be the, because it's not a wine specific program. This is a. This is a. Um, this is a program that has separate protocols for everything from livestock to row crop to chocolate to aquaculture. So, yeah. like um, B broader thing, like B Corp, which is not specifically it, for wineries. Well. It's exactly exactly like that. I was going to use that as an mm-hmm. example. Um, so when we were approached about this uh, about this regenerative organic we liked the idea but we did we had never heard the word regenerative before applied to this. It was a new concept for us. So I think in terms of people thinking about the externalities of a business, that's something which is relatively new. And just to give you a sense of how it's grown, I mean, we were the we were the first. We were part of that pilot program. We got our certification in 2020, so it's only been two years. Um, there are there were seven more wineries who got their certification in 2021, and there's now seventy that are in the pipeline for this year. So it's growing mm. exponentially as people realize what it's all about. And it's attracting a lot of the same people who had been farming biodynamically or farming organically, um, but who like us, it felt like there were maybe some blind spots in those certifications that didn't cover the things that we thought were really meaningful.
0: And you see the difference when people come to you and they want to Taste your wines, or discover what Tablas Creek is about. And when they hear that you are, you know, regenerative organic certified, or that even without the certification, all the care that you have put into into the winery, into the surroundings, into the environment, does it make a difference? You think when people come, are they more, you know, attached to the ethos that that you're bringing forward?
1: I mean, it doesn't make a difference for everyone, but it makes a difference for a lot of people. I mean, there are people for whom no, it's just all about the wine. It's uh, And and that's great. I mean, we're we're proud of the the fact that all of these choices that we make, we feel like make better wine. But I do think that more and more people want to know that the products and the companies that they're supporting are having a positive impact in in, in the world to the extent that they can. Uh, And there's lots of research that backs that up. And so does it matter for everyone? No, of course not. But I, I think it does certainly bring some people to us who might not otherwise have discovered us. And hopefully it it helps the people who have been fans of what we're doing or have been interested in what we're doing feel good about the their support of us.
0: Yeah, you have fans in the audience. <laughs> uh, Helen Siegel, we have great respect for Tablas for all this. So all the things that you're doing currently. So, uh, so yeah, they are people... <laughs> And then uh, Cassandra Nagelise, she's saying, oh, sorry if I misspelled the, the name. It's what makes Tablas Creek so unique. Truly, a leader in the forefront of regenerative practices. Jamie's comment
1: about Jamie's comment about the B Corp that that you had mentioned also, I think mm-hmm. it's very much the same. It's very much the same kind of motivation behind it. Is that it's a lot of a lot of businesses have always had. Um, this idea that they should be a positive force for good in their in their communities, but there hasn't necessarily been a shorthand way of indicating this. There hasn't been sort of an outside outside validation that this is this is being done that people could trust. And so these kind of rigorous um, multi industry sorts of certifications like B Corp or regenerative organic um, are. Are, I think really important because that, that's sort of a shorthand for consumers who care about this to know that the companies that they're that they're interested in are not just kind of talking the talk but actually backing it up with their actions.
0: Yeah when I was doing some research on the B Corp I was seeing that there's always if I'm not mistaken there's about 30 wineries uh, not distributors but really wineries in the world that are B Corp certified which is not a lot
1: it's not a lot. And that, uh, Jamie would know better than I would. We're, we, we looked at it a few years ago and didn't have the infrastructure to deal with the paperwork on it. But it's, it's one of the things that's on my list for this year. Um, now that we've done all of the legwork to get the regenerative organic certification, I feel like it's going to be little, a little less overwhelming for us to approach.
0: In your uh, music selection, you've chosen uh, The Frog Prince by keen Why have you chosen that song?
1: I just love the the kind of peacefulness that that song has. I, I, I like Keen a lot. That's one of been one of my favorite bands for probably close to 20 years at this point. Um, but it's, it's, for me, it's sort of grounding. Um, that whole album that that is on is, is one of the, There was a, I had this exercise a few years ago where I tried to figure out what albums over my life I had listened to more times than any others. Um, and that was definitely in the top five, just because it's, sort of uh at the it can be both something you pay attention to or can be really lovely going on in the background and it's just sort of for me it just sort of exudes peace
0: so i was lucky to find <laughs> to choose this one on the video <laughs> i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know it was so important i just had that feeling i don't know why but
1: <laughs> and i was a i was a, a radio dj in college that was one of the things that i that one of the the things that I had the opportunity to do going to a small college in, in Western Massachusetts, you could kind of do anything you wanted. Um, and I, music has always been something that I've, that I've really loved. Um, and it's been fun for me, even though like I've been out here in California now for 20 years and I'm not, um, I'm not exactly in a hotbed of, of, of live music particularly, but, but still being able to follow the, the kind of evolution of the indie rock, scene um, and to be in a place and we're only half an hour away from, from Cal Poly, from San Luis Obispo. So it is a good stopping point for a lot of like surprisingly great bands going in between um, LA and San Francisco or vice versa. It's uh, it's halfway in between. So um, I think we get a an unusually good selection of music here, um, even though we're sort of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's a little bit of the best of both worlds. That's nice. But
0: uh, if you love music so much, why didn't you continue, and instead of going into wine? <laughs>
1: um, I don't think I ever really thought of music as something that I would do as a career. Oh, yeah. um, it's uh, and and wine. You grow up around wine. You grow up around wine people. Um, it's a pretty compelling community itself. Um, so, I second
0: can, second generation.
1: Well, really, third, because my grandfather um, founded that retail shop, uh, retail wine shop in New York um, called M. Lehman. It's since merged with another kind of classic wine shop. It is now Sherry Lehman, but it's still one of the great wine shops in New York. So, so yeah, so my dad, principally a retailer, sorry, my grandfather, principally a retailer, my dad starting in retail, but principally an importer and then starting Tablas Creek, um, as a, as a retirement project with the family of, 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 producers with whom he'd become closest through his import work. And, and then me jumping in here for the last two decades.
0: It was the plan at the beginning uh, when you were very young, they were say, Jason, you will be a winemaker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am not a winemaker, first of all. Um, so, so I yeah, the, am, the
0: official title uh, is partner and general manager.
1: Partner and general manager. We have an amazing <laughs> winemaker named Neil Collins, who's been, been here, uh, been actually out here longer than I have. He's been out here since 1998, but no. And my dad, my dad was, he, I think he was he was he was smarter than that. Um, he didn't he didn't <laughs> he let you come. <laughs> he, he held the door open and let me see what was on the other side of it without making me feel like I was being pushed through it. um but he encouraged me to go out and do other things first. so, I mean, I have a master's degree in archaeology, and i i I taught for a couple of years. i Got recruited to join a tech company during the tech bubble in the late 90s. I ended up managing a tech company. And it wasn't until Tablas Creek had kind of grown from being a project into being a business that it really needed me out here anyway. And I didn't want to come just with my name. I wanted to come with some skills that I'd built out there in the world. Um, and having the chance and the encouragement to do other things on the way made me a lot more confident in my in my analyses and my, my judgments once I got here.
0: How much those, did those skills help you uh, when you when you went into the wine business, per se?
1: Every day. Um, every day. So not necessarily the archaeology skills. I mean, that's that's maybe not super But actually,
0: relevant. yeah, I thought that this one would... Personally, <laughs> I think it was the most interesting one from all the other ones.
1: <laughs>
0: because it shows you where we come from and how it
1: was. And wine is history in so many ways. Yeah. It's wine as a reflection of history. So anybody who has read uh, read our blog will know that I am a I'm 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 deeply interested in wine history um, and the way that wine reflects culture um, and changes as culture changes and is brought from one culture to another. Um, and so I mean, in that way, it's kind of that that study of archaeology is. Um, I guess, relevant to that extent in that that's a, it's just a different way of looking at culture. Uh, but the reason that I, I chose to do that was not, is again, it was something that I've always been interested in, but it wasn't something I was necessarily planning on as a career. But I figured it would give me a chance to travel and to teach and to work on languages, uh, which would help me no matter what I did. People skills. Yeah. People skills and opening of mind and, and life experience, like world yeah. experience of the of the broader world.
0: Yeah. So when you came back, and, and you started working in a winery, what were the biggest difficulties you've seen? Because, you know, working in a tech company, in a startup company or in a tech company is one thing, um, high speed, a lot of pressure. I don't know if you had investors, but if you had investors, it was even more a pain. And then you had the bubble bursting, which is even a bigger pain than that. So the kind of pace is not exactly the same. But when you came into uh, Tablas Creek and you started working there, what were the biggest challenges
1: for you? Um, the, so there were more there were more similarities than you might think. Okay. So um, the biggest challenge when I moved out, and they're the, really the reason why my dad asked me if I would be willing to come and move out and, and, and jump in at that time, is that we had come into this paying lots of attention and doing lots of work to make sure that we got the right, uh, the right clones in from France, the right grape growing techniques, the right cellar, the right winemaking and sort of assumed that the, the marketplace would, would know that we were associated with Bocastel and therefore buy it. Um, and that turned out not to be a, a, a terribly realistic way of, of establishing a new brand, particularly given that at the time we had at least four strikes against us. We were making blends that didn't have a category in the American wine market from grapes that people didn't know and couldn't pronounce in a part of California they'd never heard of. <laughs> with French names that didn't mean anything to them. So like we had set ourselves this this, this pretty big hurdle to climb and yes. yet expected that in this game of telephone, that is the sale of wine in the in the wholesale market in America, where the producer sells it to, in our case, the import company that my dad founded, our, our national marketing agent, who would then sell it to the distributors. Who would then have to message to the distrib- distributor salespeople? Who would then have to sell it to the retailers and the restaurants? Who would then have to message their people on the floor? Who would then have to message to consumers? Like, there's so many links in that chain um, that it it just turned out to be, it turned out to be unrealistic.
0: So, they, and they, I guess they were they were looking for the the path of least resistance. Whatever is easier to go through that
1: whole links to, to all these links would be easier sure. to sell I mean, somehow. That, that sales, sales is almost always, I mean, distributors almost always work through the path of least resistance. I mean, you sell the things that reward your efforts. So this thing where you could sell one case at a time um, to a handful of places and then those bottles would sit on the shelf because no customers really know them. Um, and the, the, then that retailer would have to do the messaging. Like, do they want to sell that? Or do they want to sell the buy the glass Chardonnay that might sell five cases a week with no effort? I mean, the, it, distributors are behaving logically to sell the things that sell. Um, so the year that I moved out here in 2002, um, we made 12,000 cases of wine and sold 4,000 cases of wine. Um yeah. <laughs> well you don't you don't sell it the same year that you make it obviously because yes, it takes so. a while to sell it but the writing is on the wall that like you you had better figure this out um and we were at that point we were we were bleeding money um the we had the partnership was put together in 1989 and we'd put money in already every year for 13 years so the problem that my dad sort of, I mean, he didn't just dump it in my lap. We worked on it together, but the problem that he basically wanted me to solve was how do we get the marketing pieces of Tablas Creek um, up to the level of the other things that we're doing? Um, and we didn't know what was going to be the best way to do it. Our, our model at the time was to sell everything through wholesale, but we like that was the that was the moment when we opened a tasting room. Like, we'd never had that. Maybe it would be good to make it easier for people to come and get excited about what we were doing. We started a wine club, we started participating in events, we started working with the distributors um, who were representing us around the country. We started being much more proactive and reaching out to writers and telling our story and encouraging them to come and discover what we were doing. And we we also, and I think this is really important, we also kind of doubled down on our support of the communities that we were a part of. So whether that's the Paso Robles community and the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance, or whether that was the, the California Rone community and, and organizations like the Rone Rangers and Hospice Du Rhone, where we really dove in feeling like if we could help these communities be successful and also establish ourselves as leaders within those communities, everything would get easier. Um, and so that's what we did for the next three years. And we finally, by 2005, had pulled ourselves even where we were making and selling 18,000 cases of wine. Yeah.
0: So getting exposure, uh, being in the market, being known, people understanding who you are, what you pre- represent.
1: One by one, one, one person by one person, one, one time to tell the story by one time to tell the story.
0: When you look, we look back at that time, and you see how things are going nowadays with the ways means of communication, you think it was easier back then or today? It's easier now.
1: Um, even with the amount it, of,
0: of offers and how many wineries
1: there are and yeah. etc. Okay. Yeah, the tools are so much more developed now. So I mean there was no social media then. So you were so dependent upon the, the, the kind of middlemen, the, either the distributors or the writers to get in contact with your, with, with your potential customer. I think it's a little harder now than it was, say, six or seven years ago, where um, some of the social media tools were a little easier to use without having to pay for them. But it's definitely easier now. The, the digital tools are just so much stronger than, than they were in the early 2000s. Yeah. 20 years when
0: you started, what was your you know, objective at the time? And you were thinking, okay, if we get to that place, it would be great. And then I'll ask the second question about today. <laughs> so <laughs> just to put you in the context.
1: <laughs> um, so I think the, the objective was, was kind of well, I don't know if it was it was simple, but I mean it, the the initial objective was we want to get to the point where we're not having to put money into this every year in order to keep it afloat. It was a very it was a, really a business objective. Um, it was how do we get this to be a self sustaining business, not a not essentially this fancy project that needs that needs ongoing support. Um, and it took us it was it was two thousand and five that we finally broke even for the first time. Um, but that meant that we had to put money into this every year for 15 years before it finally like not didn't, didn't make the money back that we'd put in, but finally at least became self-supporting. Um, and the way that we got there was not the way that we had originally planned. We got there by, by really focusing on the direct to consumer market, focusing on our tasting room, focusing on our wine club, um, focusing on our, on our website and our e-commerce piece, though that was small back then. Um, but, that was not the original business model. And that was, that was one of the things that I've always admired about the way that my dad went about business is that he, he was really a believer that you, you come up with a good plan. You put the resources behind that plan to see if it, if you can make it successful. And if you learn something that suggests you should change that plan, you change that plan and try to put new resources behind that change that it's like, you can't, you can't stick to your original idea. Um, Without being willing to to adjust to the realities that are out there, yeah.
0: but at the beginning, also the objective was to be able to be self sustainable. Because when you have the means, then you can develop, you know, the the project and, and the winery the way you want it, not being dependent because you need to find the cash flow and everything like that.
1: Yeah, and that's I mean, this was the you asked what the goal was at, at in two thousand and two when I moved out. That was the goal in two thousand and two. That was not the goal when we started this in nineteen eighty nine. The goal in nineteen eighty nine was to essentially kind of set the standard for a, a kind of a Southern Rhone model in California. And that, that's always been sort of the overarching idea and that's never changed, but that was not what the, what the real crisis was in 2002. The crisis in 2002 was, okay, like all of those larger goals, those are great, but really like how do we make this a business that will survive till next year? So that's an urgency. And <laughs> fast forward,
0: so you've got that development. We're able to stabilize and be able to get the proper resources to move forward. Now 2022. How did how did the goal change?
1: So I think we have bigger goals now. I mean, I, I feel good about where we are with that larger goal of being one of the uh, one of the, the landmarks for the Roan movement in California. I think that's I think we've established that and I'm proud of that. But a lot of the things that we're looking at now are are the kinds of things that we address with the regenerative organic certification is how do we, how do we chart a path for um, wineries and, and wineries and vineyards to be um, a, a good steward of, of what we have, but not just that, to point away for, for agriculture to be a part of a, of a better future. Um, I think that's a part of it. How do we, help lead our community more broadly to an understanding of that, of, of those possibilities that are there. Um, and then beyond that, how do we make sure that we ourselves are adapted for what we know is likely to be a drier, hotter future than we, than we have right now. So our investments in things like dry farming and, and deeper rooting, higher vigor rootstocks, and cover crops and uh, more carbon content to the soil, all these things are, 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 Yes, they're good societal things to do, but we feel like they're also part of a hedge against a, a future that we're sure is going to be drier and hotter than, than, than the past.
0: It feels like the challenges that you have today were harder than, are harder than getting cash flow positive back then <laughs> because it's, it's, it's so complicated, there's so many moving pieces, and
1: there's so many different aspects to it. It, it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's, much, it's much more complicated. Um, but we have the, at this point, we have the the kind of platform that we have the ability to, to at least take a crack at things like that. And, um, again, these are not in any way in in conflict with the goals to make, um, a, amazing wines that have that have as much character of place as we can possibly get into them. They're They're totally in sync with that. But um, I think, that doesn't really feel like quite uh, enough in and of itself at this point for, for what, what we have the potential to do.
0: Yeah. So the the future looks bright. And if you fast forward 10, 15 years, because I know that in in, in the wine, in the wine-making industry, uh, as a winemaker or as a winery, it's long time. It's, it's not two years. It's it's five years, it's 10 years, it's 15 years down the line. How, how do you see, how do you see the, uh,
1: the, the future. Well even even 10 years is not really very long in the in the oh, grand scheme. Twenty of like <laughs> yeah. um, I, I Take the time I'm, frame. Yeah I don't I don't know. It that's a that's a hard thing for me. That's a hard thing for me to do. Um, I I tend to have a pretty clear sense of what I want to attack in the next year or two. Um and I'm a real believer in kind of incremental improvements. You do things a little bit better a little bit better each year and the cumulative impact of that is, is huge. Um, I do think a couple of things are going to become more common or at least more important. Um, one of them is that California, you've already seen the pendulum in California swing away from some of the super ripe, super extracted wines that I think maybe the, the, the region became known for a decade ago. Um, or not necessarily became known for, but became associated with a decade ago. I think you're going to continue to see that. I think there is going to be more and more of an emphasis on wines of freshness and brightness. I think acidity in wine is going to become more and more prized. I see the, the, the selection of grapes and grape varieties within the Rhone kind of pantheon. Um, the the primacy of Syrah and Grenache, I feel that changing. I see, I think you're gonna be seeing more of the. Higher acid grapes like um, cunois and um, Vacares and Sanso, you're gonna be seeing more late ripening grapes like Morvedra on the white side, you're gonna be seeing a, a further growth of things like Grenache Blanc and Picpoul and these, these grapes that retain the beautiful acidity in California. So I, th- I think that's going to happen. I think the, the, the big fight in California in, in coming years is gonna be against fire. Um, that's gonna that has the potential to impact every California wine region um, and that, that's become increasingly clear. So whether that is um, techniques in the vineyard and in the cellar to help protect grapes from from smoke, whether it's mm-hmm. things like we're doing where we're using our flock of sheep in the in the the summer when they can't be in the vineyard to graze down the, the, the brush and grasses in the forest to reduce the fuel loads in the forest so the fires are less less devastating um, or whether it's something um, something that we haven't even imagined yet but I do feel like that's going to be a huge challenge the challenge challenges going forwards are going to be kind of fire and water Not and enough water th- not too yeah. much water <laughs> too
0: much too much <laughs> fires and not enough water <laughs> and and you think there's going to be more people that are going to be, interested in in the regenerative certified organic certified uh, certification seeing your example and the ones that are you know joining the movement because they see that after all this is all the things that you have left is that land that earth that you need to deal with and if you if you don't treat it properly you're not going to get anything out of it
1: yeah and i, I think I don't know that it will be this particular certification program, but the, the idea of regenerative farming is I think going to be like in a generation in, in, in 20, 25 years, I think it's going to be hard to imagine farming any other way that either, whether through resource depletion or, or legislation or, um, Societal change. Um, this is going to be the norm. It's not going to be the the kind of extractive method of farming where you're using um, a lot of chemi- chemical fertilizers. You're using um, GMOs that can withstand those the the chemical pesticides. Whether you, and then like all of this aggressive tillage year after year. I don't think that's going to be a viable way of farming. I don't know what the what the system is or the mechanism is that's going to, <laughs> going to replace it. But I, I think regenerative farming is at least one poth- possible path forward. One possible path.
0: Unfortunately, we're getting very close to the end of the show. We could go on for hours with the conversation. But before we finish, the usual pivot questionnaire. So, this is the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, so what is your first? What is your favorite word? Favorite
1: word? Yes. Ah, well, I, I know this because my kids make fun of me for it. Um, uh, my favorite word is "lovely." Like it is, it is a description <laughs> that I use for lots of different things, um, and I think it, um, I think it's evocative. And um, again, my kids make fun of me for it, so I'm going to go with that.
0: It, it's it's very British. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe it's, another... that, maybe it's all of the books. I, I don't know. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Well, um, I know at the moment, at least my least favorite, my least favorite word is, um, is, is frost. We've had three frosts, three frosts in the last two weeks here. Um, none of which have been devastating, um, but all of which have caused some damage. So it's it's not so much the word frost it's the it's more the sound of the frost fans going on which they do at 34 degrees that is like that's just strikes dread um, at this time of year
0: i can imagine your favorite virtue kindness
1: your favorite quality in a man would say well kindness is too easy is too easy an answer <laughs> at that point but um, but yeah essentially Willingness to willingness to listen, willingness to willingness to engage. Okay. What's your favorite quality in a woman? I don't know that I've particularly thought about it as distinct as distinct from quality in a man. Fair enough. Uh, so, I'll 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 say the same thing. Just the just the willingness to engage. Yeah. Okay. An easier one. What wine would you use to describe yourself? <laughs> um. This is not an easier question. This is okay. a little bit like asking, like, <laughs> which of your kids you like best. Um, so, I hope I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a Roan blend as an example because I hope that what I am is a is 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 an assembly of positive characteristics from lots of different pieces without any one of them being so dominant that the others others get swallowed up.
0: But the the whole is in equilibrium.
1: Yes, I hope. I hope. I strive <laughs> for equilibrium and balance.
0: Okay, what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> it's not, um, you can say whatever so, you want. It's not B, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Okay. This is this is a this is not a PG not a PG broadcast. Um, my my favorite is probably damn it, which which I I feel like I say um, more often than I would like to, um, just in a like i knew this was going to happen sort of a sort of a, an explanation the the i saw it coming but i still couldn't do anything about it yeah.
0: what sound or noise do you love
1: ah the sound of waves on the beach
0: what sound or noise do you hate
1: <laughs> um, so other than the sound of those frost fans yes. going on there was a there is a particularly um, evocative sound in wine cellars um, at least the, every cellar has had it happen once which is the the um, the screech of metal which happens when you uh, pump wine out of a tank, but forget to vent that tank and instead vent the tank next to it, where you have a giant tank that kind of crumples in on itself. And in our case, pulls itself off of the catwalk to which it's welded.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, I can imagine. It's <laughs> not a pleasant thing. Uh, what plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in?
1: Um, I think it would be a sea creature of some sort, maybe a dolphin. Something that uh, I feel like they have awfully good lives.
0: They do. <laughs> they do have. And last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: <laughs> oh, um, maybe just something simple like "You made it." Like, like, welcome. Well done,
0: Jason Haas. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> thank you, Antoine. <Hunt> <laughs>
0: So this concludes the Wine Hour for today. Thank you for listening. Next show is on May 26th. Until then, drink in moderation, be well and safe. Faith always. Goodbye.